place where your love is shared the same For the stories where the hero saves the girl somehow Where the no further friends, the adventure never ends We will save the world somehow In Sunspots Comics Town Aloha, my fellow comic bookaholics. Welcome to the Sunspots Comics Podcast, issue number 216. Here at the Sunspots Comics Podcast, I only recommend and lightly review the best of the new comic books so that you can save some time and save some money. This issue of the Sunspots Comics Podcast covers comic books that just came out Wednesday, new comic book day, December 4th and December 11th. So yes, two new comic book days in one podcast, a twofer. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Chris Latore. Thank you so much for listening to the Sunspots Comics Podcast. The holidays are upon us. We can't escape them, of course. Hug your loved ones. Hug them tight. And gently whisper in their ear, Hey, I love you. <laughs> Trust me, it's, it's the best. Please do us an Ant-Man-sized favor. Hit the Sunspots Comics subscribe button. You'll see it somewhere. Subscribe to our podcast. Then follow us everywhere on everything at sunspots comics yes keep in touch i always love to start the show with some very humble thank yous first and foremost thank you to you the mighty listener thank you so much for choosing the sunspots comics podcast there's a bazillion podcasts out there so thank you for taking the time and picking us here at the sunspots comics podcast thank you to my friend nick papa george for singing our theme song check out his solo singing stuff on instagram at nicholas.dell and nick's band solution at solution underscore band if you love feel good tunes and you love hawaiian style feel good kind of reggae with some rock sprinkled in there that's what he's all about you're gonna love all the sounds of my friend nick Papa George and his band Solution. So please check them out and thank you to my buddy Nick. Also, thank you to our sponsor, Cryptid Zoo. Cryptid Zoo makes these beautifully designed AR t-shirts on and they're based on cryptozoology. Plus, you open your HP reveal app on your smartphone, you point it at the Cryptid Zoo t-shirt, any of them, and the AR-infused shirt will just come to life before your very eyes. you got to look at it. Go to cryptidzoo.com and don't forget to use the promotional code SUNSPOTSCOMICS and you'll actually get 25% off of any Cryptid Zoo shirt order. So buy the only shirt that'll come to life right before your very eyes at cryptidzoo.com. That's right, it's C-R-Y-P-T-I-D-Zoo.com. So now let me make... A giant superhero landing right into the Sunspots Comics podcast, issue number 216, starting out with some stuff that's been floating up around inside of my nerdy brain. Every single podcast, I give you all the nuggets of nerdness that are just beaming through the nerdy pathways of my brain. So starting out with my review on the CW's Crisis on Infinite Earths. Earths, Earths, yes. It is so epic. Uh, spoiler alert, of course, in case you haven't seen the three episodes that have aired on the CW app and CW channel, if you're still doing the whole live TV thing, which is weird, right? <laughs> but... This has all the right ingredients, absolutely all the right ingredients. There's tons of fun in it, there's tons of humor. One funny moment, because I just watched the three episodes not too long ago, 
uh, is when Elongated Man shows up. And he's just a little overzealous. He's a little kind of excited. And I love that Killer Frost kind of addresses the whole group and just kind of goes, you know, this guy, it's his first crossover. <laughs> so it's, there's tons of little bits of humor in there. They make fun of themselves. They don't take themselves too seriously. Yes, three episodes have aired on the CW's Crisis on Infinite Earth, Earths. And I love that it's, uh, it's the sixth annual Arrowverse crossover event. I can't believe it. Uh, featuring all the shows uh, coming together, Supergirl, Batwoman, The Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, and Black Light Lightning. They all just come together in this very epic feeling and fun uh, Arrowverse crossover event. And I, I, it's kind of odd that we have to wait until January 14th to see the final 4th and 5th episode. They'll both air on January 14th. So uh, they take a little... Uh, you know, mid-holiday break, which is kind of odd. Also, there is a uh, CW uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths Aftermath show starring host Kevin Smith, where you can kind of unpack and do kind of a, a Talking Dead kind of thing and, and, and get into the minds of what these characters were thinking. And there's, a, there's some great guests on there, and there's like a producer of the show that's there that, of course, uh, speaks cryptically about certain things. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just, it's wacky, it's fun. I love every bit of it. And I, I haven't watched, I'll be honest, all of the tie-in shows. I, right now, I've, I've seen all the Batwoman episodes. I've sprinkled in a few episodes of Arrow here and there. Watched a ton of Flash for a, a good long while. Haven't uh, seen the, uh, like the fourth or fifth season, so I'm a little behind. Uh, I did watch all of the first season of Supergirl. So you really don't have to be uh, knee-deep in all the CW uh, superhero shows, DC superhero shows, to enjoy what's happening here on crisis on infinite earths uh, because it's just it's just it's just fun like i said you you really won't feel too lost because there is a whole bunch going on but you'll you'll kind of get the rhythm of it that it you don't have to sort of key in so tightly to every single sort of word they're saying there is a couple of sort of cryptic uh, moments here of conversations that tie into shows but you'll get the gist of it they definitely made the show accessible to people that are just tuning in for this crossover so they've got it down now, like I said, being the sixth Arrowverse crossover. I know they give the sort of key credit to Arrow because it's the, sort of the flagship show that's been around longer than all of them and in some ways has carried some of the other shows along. But um, you can see that they, they dice it up rather well as far as what kind of emotional tie-in each bit of the show has. Like Flash definitely is that sort of love and soap opery and, and kind of sappy aspect to it. And Arrow is a little bit more grounded in realism and gritty. And uh, Black Lightning is just uh, also very sort of gritty and realistic. But his suit is so over the top. <laughs> and so he brings his own element. Also has that kind of hardcore family because his daughters are in the show on Black Lightning. And so and his wife and his ex-wife. So it's just all kind of tied into his uh, Black Lightning's family. And so it, it's it, they all have their sort of nice sliced up piece of, of, of what kind of gives it a full emotional feeling uh, altogether that is Crisis on Infinite Earths on the CW. So I definitely recommend it. it the time goes by very fast when you watch it. Uh, I, I, again, why did I give a spoiler alert? I'm not really spoiling the events of what happened because it's, it's sort of bonkers. It's sort of wacky. It's sort of all over the place. It's very hardcore comic book nerdy, which I love. Yes, it's got some cheese. It's got some definite low-budget CGI in there. You got to just kind of give them a pass. Uh, because ultimately, it's feel-good comic book TV 
that just zips right on by like the Flash. And it's fun because, like I said, they don't take themselves too seriously. It's just very enjoyable. Uh, trust me, uh, even if you do feel lost, just just go with it and just enjoy it. Uh, watch this sort of cataclysmic event as the uh, Anti-Monitor wipes out the multiverse. And uh, yes, uh, if you if you really get hardcore nerdy about it, there are tons of sort of areas where the co it shoots away from the comic book. But it, it's making its own thing here. So, And there's a ton of tie-ins to the comic book that are accurate. So at the same time, there's a bunch to chew on there where you can go, Mm-hmm, that is in issue six of this and that and the other. So... I say watch it. I say give it your full attention. It's uh, Don't worry about being, uh, again, like I said, uh, steeped and uh, knee-deep in the whole CW-verse. Just watch Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's just cool to watch television and see, like, 12 people in, in superhero costumes. It's just It just makes me giddy and happy. So watch Crisis on Infinite Earths. I love the accessibility of the CW app. You don't have to sign in. You don't have to have a... A, a tied-in DirecTV account or something like that, an affiliated TV, you know, a, a account. It, it is, you can just watch it free on your smart TVs, on anywhere you can get the CW app, uh, even just on your computer. So I definitely recommend it. Crisis on Infinite Earths. Go and look at it. It's on the CW right now. All three episodes available to go. And the next topic that's just simmering around in the goop that is my nerdy brain, is The Watchmen on HBO, The Watchmen series. And I just wanted to give my review and thoughts on uh, Season 1, Episode 1. Again, uh, spoiler-ish alert. I mostly talk about uh, my feelings on things, and I've only seen the very first episode of The Watchmen. I'm a little bit behind. Uh, there is nine episodes in the first season, and they are all available now, so the season is over. So, uh, it's I'm a little behind, but I'm going to get there. But... You have uh, the show that's that's created by Mr. Damon Lindelof. Yes. So it comes with some gravitas. And he is one uh, heck of a director, visionary, uh, storyteller that I definitely respect. Uh, look him up. You can see everything he's done and involved in. A lot of just very independent, very out there sort of uh, deep character development kind of storytelling. And... This particular story uh, of the Watchmen series is 34 years after the events in the comic book, which, if you haven't read the Watchmen, it is known as, it's hailed as one of the best comic book series of all time. It's, it definitely carries the big punch, and it's, it's dense, it's heavy, it's, it's got this kind of separate side story about pirates, but it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a force to be reckoned with. And uh, this, the comic book, of course, is uh, written by Alan Moore. Uh, Dave Gibbons uh, was also uh, created as kind of the co-creator uh, who did the art on it. And it's set in, uh, it looks like it's, it's, it's filmed and set in Georgia? Set in, in Atlanta? Something like that? And it's a definite heavy American superhero drama. So that, that will uh, uh, definitely be the main crux of this kind of show. And it's got a it's got a great cast of people you'll sort of recognize uh, beyond um, the main character, who is Regina King. She plays this uh, this character. I believe it's she's she's called the the White Knight, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, but anyway, it's the 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 kind of the the gist of the story 
is very sort of topical. It's very metaphorical to uh, to race issues that have happened to sort of uh, what's happened to, to black people, you know, which wasn't very long ago, 50 years ago, whatever it was. And it definitely kind of ties into there a lot of racial tension that's happening here. And there is this this group called the like the seven. Uh, what was their name? Like the I, I forget. It'll come to me. But there's a group that are basically wearing the, the Rorschach masks from the Watchmen movie and TV series. And uh, they're called like the Seventh Calvary. That's what they're called. And so they're mainly racist. And what's uh, kind of a, you know, a, a, a kind of a KKK feeling to their group. And uh, and most of the policemen and detectives are, are black, are African-American. And uh, the, it's run by the, the sort of uh, commissioner who is Don Johnson. <laughs> and I, I was I, I, I chuckled at first when I said, well, wow, he's the he's the kind of he's the sort of co-helm of the show. But man, he does a fantastic acting job. And then there's Jeremy Irons, who is also a very you know accredited, amazing actor who has this kind of very odd side story where he um, he's kind of like this Bruce Wayne billionaire. That's uh, living alone in his mansion. Uh, doesn't seem to have a wife or kids or any family or anything. Um, and he's he's tended to by what almost seems like robotic or animatronic, uh, you know, life forms. They they just seem to be very like naive, very childlike, like they're they're robots and he's training them. So maybe he, which he hasn't revealed yet. I've only watched the first issue episode. Maybe Jeremy Iron's character is like a kind of a mad robotic technical genius of some sort but he's just always kind of uh you know doing a lot of very proper british things and having tea and and uh, they're celebrating like his birthday in this uh, in this episode and he's all by himself and yet his sort of again like animatronic staff <laughs> is surrounding him and are just desperate for approval uh from to uh, to Jeremy Irons's character which I already forgot his name so it's just this very interesting odd story that's the side story that's going along side of the Watchmen here um, as tensions build, you know, between, you know, the uh, the black and white uh, you know sides of the story. And there's even a sprinkling of the uh, of the old uh, original comic book, the Watchmen of the, uh, the the giant purple monster octopus kind of monster squid monster that's in the Watchmen comic book series, but because it's 34 years later, they kind of add a little twist to it, but you do see some squiddy purple octopusy creatures, which is very cool, in that it, it, it occasionally just rains them down upon uh, everywhere, which uh, that's all I'll say. That's spoilery enough. But Regina King does a fantastic job of, of carrying the weight of the main kind of emotional centerpiece character in this, and how she's kind of a detective as this white knight She's kind of been around. She's been there, done that. She is an amazing hand-to-hand -hand fighter. I think uh, sort of maybe even enhanced as far as her strength goes because she's just a force to be reckoned with and a sharpshooter, etc. So I just dig her. She's just got she's, got, she's a spitfire. She's got spunk. She's got tenacity. And, and she's just a character you can get behind and relate to. She's got a, a kind of an adorable family, which uh, her husband is the guy that played... Um, the villain in the Aquaman movie. That's I just remember looking at his face right now and something. So, uh, I man, I, I I dig him. He is a fantastic actor as well, and I love the relationship between Regina King and Don Johnson. He's sort of 
her kind of adopted father in a way. And it, it doesn't seem like she has that part of her family. So he, she definitely looks to him as being her dad. And that relationship is strained. They definitely have issues there. But there's this kind of loving trust that's involved as well. Kind of like a commissioner to a detective. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's, it's very inspiring and fun. And that's kind of the light. And that's kind of the warmth that this show needs. That's kind of very dark and very bleak and very gruesome. And very uh, just bloody and over the top and violent, and this this show will will uh, it'll it'll get the blood boiling, you know, with the, the 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 race stuff that they do. It's just you're just like you'll get upset and angry by that. Um, but at the same time, there are characters with masks. I love the uh, the guy with the chrome. He's kind of the the Rorschach replacement, if you will. Uh, he's got this like chrome face on and has this strange interrogation room that ref just reflects a bunch of light off of his chrome mask that he wears. He's like this insane kind of DJ, <laughs> but he's um, he's this gruesome detective <clears throat> that uh, again puts people in this this weird, maybe alien like uh, interrogation room that is just kind of uh, using the uh, kind of a. A very interesting way of interrogation and trying to get deep into the mind of the person and and all you're seeing is your own reflection so it's just just very cool that I love that and the score I got to say that the score is from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross it's just haunting and it's just dark and ominous and it's it's beautiful at times as well with a, a both sort of classical orchestration and digital and drumline uh, that's involved Trent Reznor's kind of thing, but he's taken it a step up, I would say. Very unique sound in the score. And the soundtrack, I gotta mention the soundtrack. It's it's the stuff of legend. It's absolutely really interesting. There's like, there's a mix of big band tunes from like the 30s and 40s, like the Ink Spots. Uh, there's like or like or orchestral classics in there, like like El Danubio Azul, which you'll I didn't know that was the name, but when you hear this orchestration, you'll go, oh yeah, that's that's an everything. That's a very popular orchestration. There's a bunch of like swooning tunes, sultry swo like swooning tunes from the 30s, uh, like uh, like a few hits from the Ink Spots, which I really dig. There's like Whispering Grass. There's the Prayer. There's more. They're just played at these odd moments that really just make these moments memorable. You'll even get kicked in your hot pants from the godfather of soul himself, Mr. James Brown. Uh, <laughs> singing Living in America from uh, Rocky IV, one of my favorite movies of all time. So you got that. You got um, Life on Mars from David Bowie. That's like from the 70s. Like it's, it's all over as far as the genre of music they play on the soundtrack. One of my personal favorite duets of all time from Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers from 1982. Islands in the Stream. I just love that. It's one of my favorite songs. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those seriously A-plus memorable soundtracks and scores that we don't get often in TV shows. Just just even that aspect alone, along with everyone really being on their A-game A here as far as their acting, the prowess goes. So I, I feel like I've already said too much. But overall, I say watch the Watchmen series on HBO. It has all the epic cinematic trappings of feature-length films, but it's just it's just diced up into a wonderful series. It feels relevant, it feels topical, it feels heavy, it feels brutal, yet altogether seriously interesting, and tons of entertainment value here. So watch The Watchmen on HBO. I'll be, as I watch episodes 2 through 9, I will probably do a, another review in the very near future and wrap the whole thing up. But man, Watchmen, watch it. Watch The Watchmen. <laughs> 
And a couple of the things that have been floating around inside of my nerdy brain recently is two new comic book movie trailers. I'm seriously, seriously jazzed about these two trailer trailers. I'm I'm most jazzed about the trailer for Wonder Woman 1984. If you haven't seen this, uh, pause the podcast, go onto the interweb, and watch WW1984. It's just amazing. I love the New Order song, Blue Monday. Yes, it's in the intro, outro as well on this very podcast. Um, <laughs> Blue Monday, syncing the action to the beat of the song. I love that. Just the drum line. It's like perfect. It's just, it's absolute poetry. I absolutely love that. Overall, this, the Wonder Woman 1984, like, trailer has a kind of Guardians Volume 2, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 vibe to it. Maybe just some of the color palette, some of the neon, etc. It is set in the 80s. And a big takeaway from the uh, Wonder Woman 1984 teaser trailer. It's really just a teaser. That's what I enjoy, too. It doesn't give you everything, because I'm very spoiler sensitive. (laughs) But it has to be. The big takeaway, the big question, the big, huh? has to be how is Steve Trevor alive if you've seen Wonder Woman the first film he you know he's uh, you know a spoiler for that if you haven't seen the first Wonder Woman hello but Steve Trevor is alive in the second one in this teaser trailer how is that so my hope and little tiny like nerdy theory is that he's John Jones the Martian Manhunter wouldn't that be cool because he has this ability to shapeshift so it's not even Steve Trevor at all it's 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 Martian Manhunter. That'd be cool. They could bring him in. It's one of my favorite DC characters. Oh, and we uh, and Pedro Pascal is stars in this as well. So we get to see the Mandalorian's face in Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> Maybe not in the Mandalorian show. But there's a very 80s uh, you know feel and vibe. Of course, it's set in the 80s. It's got that Stranger Things kind of going on, which I like that. And it's uh, the, the basically the whole team's back. You've got Patty Jenkins directing again. You got Gal Gadot, of course. Hans Zimmer on the sound, the score. I can't. It sounds wonderful. If we're getting just a little taste of it in this, because it's mostly that uh, that that song from Blue Monday, um, the New Order, called Blue Monday. So uh, I love that vibe. I love that feeling. I'm a child of the '80s, so it's it's all up in my wheelhouse personally. So I love it, and uh, they they do kind of give you a splash of a new outfit. Great. You got to have a little, uh, you got to keep it fresh. This is the second Wonder Woman movie, so you got to come out with something a little different. They definitely do. And Kristen Wiig as Cheetah. I'm just very excited about that. I, she has just a tiny funny bit in the trailer. I seriously hope they let her loose a little and let her be funny because that's Kristen Wiig's like real, true superpower. So I know she's going to be, you know, the Cheetah and, you know, not necessarily known as a, as a, as a very funny villain. Uh, to Wonder Woman, so I hope they let her kind of do her thing, and uh, I can't wait. This is uh, they they've moved the release date a few times on this, but I guess now it's officially set. Wonder Woman 1984 set for June 5th, 2020, so <clears throat> six months away. And uh, can't believe Star Wars is already here. Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker is just Thursday. Uh, that just also popped right into my head, and I got my tickets. I'll be seeing that. I'm sure I'll be talking about Rise of Skywalker, Episode Nine, very soon. Anyway, it's just an in-between. Also, the other comic book uh, trailer that dropped is the Black Widow movie. And uh, this is a definitely a more, a, a definitely kind of a, a more to go with, more to give you uh, as far as the trailer uh, goes. So if you're, it's, uh, it's, if you're spoiler sensitive, this will uh, get your spider sense tingling. Like, ah, 
do I want to see this? But there's some excellent action sequences in this. And it just moves at a crazy, serious pace. We get to meet Black Widow's sister. You have a sister. <laughs> Wrong movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, right off the get-go, one thing that bounced out in my head is we have a very... Uh, we see a, a Marvel youngifying of uh, William Hurt, and they they youngify people so well in Marvel films. Everyone you can think of, from Samuel Jackson to Robert Downey Jr. and so on, everybody gets to be younged up at one point. And uh, this 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 prequel, Black Widow movie prequel, is set between Captain America Three: Civil War and Avengers: Infinity War. And I honestly think that they should have released it then. That that would have been smarter, would have been better, just fit it in properly. Uh, you know, when I hear prequel, I'm like, mm, just the, 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 I get a little twinge, yes, uh, when I hear that. So I, I, I wish, and you know, we could, they just did it then. I know there was probably all sort of problems, production issues, etc. Worries about where the, you know, the franchise was going and things, so it just didn't happen. But I think it just would have been great if it was then, so this does feel a smidge late. Um, also, interesting that it's directed by Kate Shortland, <clears throat> who, she has some accolades, in the movie biz, but mostly like Australian television and Australian kind of indie shorts. So interesting pick. She must have really wowed them and must really have a vision uh, for this film. And she's a little off the you know beaten path of some of the people they've gone to in the past. Maybe I mean Taika Waititi. She's he's had some you know indie background anyway. So good luck for her. I hope <clears throat> I hope she really makes us just a stand apart movie, something that feels different for the next phase of the Marvel films. Although it's prequel, will there be any tie-in? Uh, we'll see. But Black Widow <clears throat> coming out. Uh, the release date is May 1st, 2020. So five months for Black Widow. Like it just feels like it's coming up around the corner. So yeah, uh, Scarlett Johansson doing her thing. Like she always has been for for 12 years, whatever it is, 11 years. It's crazy. But Black Widow. So yeah, really excited about those uh, two and a half 2.5 movie, 2.25 movies I just discussed. So, those are the movies in my brain that are coming out, man. I'm super excited. And another juicy nugget of nerd I can't wait. Uh, I just got to get out of my head. Uh, <laughs> can't wait to discuss it here with you. Is uh, this Mandalorian coin that I got? I posted it on um, at Sunspots Comics, by the way. But <clears throat> here's the story. Kind of cool. I wanted to share it with you. I'm in Disneyland last week with a buddy of mine, uh, Steve. Hey, Steve. And his daughter, Chloe. <laughs> and uh, Chloe Cakes. I'm standing near the Frontierland Shooting Arcade, and I'm, I'm wearing some Jedi garb that I'm putting together and kind of sort of creating my own little Jedi character. And I've got my, uh, my custom-made lightsaber with me that I made in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and I've got a purple blade on it. I'm just standing there, uh, just, just standing there <laughs> like a big dope. And this complete stranger walks up to me. He puts this heavy, dark, metalish coin in my hand. It's a large, like, silver dollary coin. And he says to me, this is the way. And I, I was in shock. I heard what he said, but I was already looking down to what he put in my hand. And it was this, this absolutely just dark, lovely metal coin of the Mandalorian. And I'm staring at this lovely coin in shock. And, and just like amazement and I look up to say thank you to, the, to this person I knew it was a guy because I kind of saw a guy in a hat like a white guy in a hat kind of lightly bearded and I look up and he's gone <laughs> I mean it was dark and there was tons of people around at that very moment um, so you know yeah, but I was uh, dumbstruck by this coin that he put in my, my gloved hand and I posted a pic of the coin like I said at Sunspots Comics but luckily 
I found the guy on Instagram. He custom makes these Mandalorian coins and Mandalorian action figures, Mandalorian from the show, Mandalorian creatures, and I wanted to give him a huge humble thank you. I don't know his actual first name or name, but he's on Instagram at has no talent. And a great name to easily kind of get stuck in your brain and remember, but he's very talented. Um, I just want to say thank you to Mr. Has No Talent. <laughs> you just really made my night. And I've been carrying this beautiful coin with me around, just showing my friends and my family. So it's just it's just been with me and, uh, and, and just a point of uh, conversation that I'm having with the people I care about. Um, so, uh, and then I, again, uh, I, I don't know his first name. Um, at has no talent he then mailed me three more of these beautiful mandalorian coins double-sided it's got arabesh all over it i have to decode it and see what it what he wrote on there he custom makes these coins himself uh to complete like the full set of coins there's like they sort of have different um metal hues and and a different color there's like kind of a silverish shiny one there's like a pewterish looking one they're gorgeous you got to look at them all check out my my instagram at sunspots comics but um, yes, and, and please follow him. Check out his stuff at Has No Talent. So thank you so much at Has No Talent. Uh, you are seriously a huge talent in my heart. Uh, so I had to give you a shout out and thank you. So check him out on Instagram at Has No Talent. <laughs> and the last thing floating around inside of my nerdy brain is that I'm actually creating my very own comic book. It's called Zombie Destroyers. And I created Zombie Destroyers. I'm doing the writing, uh, the layouts, and the lettering. And the very first issue, the pencils, the inks, and the bonus pages are done for Zombie Destroyers, issue number one. And I'm now working on the lettering and the coloring on it myself. And I'm actually looking for an artist to do the pencils and inks on Zombie Destroyers. If you are interested in breaking into the comic book biz with me, send me an email to chris at sunspotscomics.com. We can start a conversation. I'll give you the pitch. And please send me some of your sample sequential comic book art. And if you can, throw in there your asking page rate, just so I have an idea. Uh, and to get a glimpse, to get a feel of what my comic book Zombie Destroyers looks like, head over to my newly redesigned website, sunspotscomics.com, and click on Zombie Destroyers. You'll see a bunch of sample pages. You'll see the uh, Converse shoes that the artist did some Zombie Destroyers for me on some Conver uh, Converse shoes. I love it. And there's even a cosplayer that dressed up as a Zombie Destroyers character. So we'll check it all out. Um, so Zombie Destroyers, coming soon from yours truly, me, Chris, right here at Sunspots Comics. And next up is a quick mention of our interview segment. It's called Spotlighting. Spotlighting is where I proudly share these conversations I've had with some amazing comic book creators. I've been super lucky to have some great comic book creators on the show, like... Daniel Warren Johnson of Murder Falcon, Troy Nixie of Trout, Marcus Inasso of Voracious, Zach Kaplan of Eclipse, and so, so many more. Please check them out on our Sunspots Comics podcast feed right now. They're all available to listen to. Also, if you already work in the comic book business or you're trying to break in like me, let's have a fun chat about the comic book you're working on right here on the Sunspots Comics podcast. Send me an email, preferably with a review copy of your comic book, to chris at sunspotscomics.com, or message me at sunspotscomics so we can have you as a guest on a future issue of the Sunspots Comics podcast. So now, on to the super-powered main event. 
of the Sunspots Comics Podcast, which is my comic book recommendations. These are my favorite picks of the new comic books that just came out, New Comic Book Day, December 4th and December 11th. Here is your super duper light semi-spoiler-ish alert. I seriously, though, I just want to inspire you. I want you to go buy these comics. I want you to fully enjoy them, so I really don't spoil them all that much. I also never discuss the last few pages or the cliffhangers. I leave those alone, and I only discuss some of the interesting points that makes up a comic book. So just in case, here's your super-duper light, semi-spoiler-ish alert. So, and the breakdown. I actually read a poll list of 35 comic books for the two new comic book days, that's December 4th and December 11th, and only 10 of them made it to the Great Ones recommendation list that I'm about to recommend to you, so only 10. And new number ones! I actually read 10 new number ones in the two weeks, and only three of them made it to the top pick list, so yeah, they gotta be great. So I strongly recommend you go buy these comic books at your local comic book shop today. Yes, find it and go there and help support your local comic book shop. So here we go. Come the first one, there's no real countdown. So the first one I'm going to discuss is from the week of December 4th. So I go oldest to newest and there's 5. 5 in December 4th, so and there's 5 in December 11th. So the first no particular order basically. I think maybe alphabetic is about the only way I did it. <laughs> the first pick, uh, the first comic I'm going to recommend to you is 2000 or 20XX, <laughs> issue number 1. And this is from Image Comics, and this is a fantastic team. One of my favorite artists, Jonathan Luna, and it's written by Lauren Kelly. And I do believe Jonathan sort of co-wrote it uh, as well. And I love that Jonathan Luna has a very recognizable style of art, and it's very simplistic, very uh, it's very uh, low scale, it's very minimalist, and he ups his game here. So it didn't look like a lot of the Jonathan Luna, Luna comics that I or you have read in the past. So if you're kind of thinking like, um, you know, maybe I'm tired of his uh, kind of style of art or whatever, which you shouldn't, um, he definitely steps it up and does some different lines and makes a, just a concerted effort to have each and every character look very different here. So I appreciate that. And it's a black and white comic. I usually don't kind of gravitate to that, but when I see that it's Jonathan Luna, I am absolutely in. And this is a very interesting science fiction tale about a not too far distant future where there may or may not have been some sort of apocalypse but there's definitely a virus a disease that that's gone around that when you get the disease it looks like it either just it wipes out a huge chunk of the population or if you get this virus you become uh, kind of an x-men you have a um, you become a a, a variant you become a, a super powered a sort of telekinetic person and this is definitely kind of showing the cultural divide uh, between the people that are, have this special ability and don't. It's definitely a, an homage, a, uh, a telling of kind of an X-Men, you know, mutant kind of story. Uh, because there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, there's segregation, there's a lot of separation, there's a lot of, of, of tension uh, between the, uh, the have powers and not. And there's even tension, of course, even between the, uh, the people that have powers in themselves. Um, especially for people that don't embrace it right away, and they were basically racist and and uh, and discriminated against people with powers before. So I like that. But it's centered around this main character who is uh, living her life, trying to kind of come up uh, in this company and do the right thing. And just she's like a hard worker, 
And I love the technology that's here. This is kind of tapped upon before in a Jonathan Luna comic of the name that's escaping me. I want to say it's girls, but I don't think it's that. Um, it had to do with um, like a, a man that had a, an android in his house. I forget the name. I think it was two names of people. Anyway, <clears throat> basically the internet is wired into your brain. You uh, you you're constantly have sort of Google goggles on, <laughs> and uh, where you'll see a text in the top right hand and corner and top left hand corner of like what time it is, and uh, you know your your Wi-Fi strength and the weather. It's just in your eyes. Yeah, it's a little creepy in that regard. And you sort of think what you want to do, like you know send text message to someone. You just think about it or call someone. You just sort of think it, and then you're having these conversations with people in your head. But you're sending a satellite uh, message from your brain into the sky and into their brain. I love that little bit of tech uh, that's there. It, it's it's very very interesting and adds this kind of uh, it adds a very important sort of speaking to yourself thought narrative. Um, and so I love that. And there's even some tech where there's like messages and flowers that uh, they can sort of appear in your eyes and they're not really there. They're digital flowers and so on with almost look like fireworks and so on. So I just also feel that that had to be sort of dis it's got to be disruptive in people's lives, but this is kind of further now where people sort of accept that. But um, yeah, I just love that, that, that bit of technology there. So this main character, this woman, she ends up getting the virus and she's kind of immediately discriminated against. They, they, she was out of commission for a while being that when you get the virus, usually you're kind of in a slight coma for a while as your superpowers, you know, they, they grow and you awaken and they gave her job away and they, they don't need her anymore and kind of fired her from her job. So now she has superpowers, but she's unemployed. So it's like, what does she do? She's, she's going to kind of seek out someone that she knows that uh, has powers and, and that she maybe wasn't the best person to, but now she's going to be like, Hey, I'm one of you now. So that's even kind of a strained sort of thing. And she goes to a bar where a lot of superpowered people hang out and she's just quickly introduced into their world. So that's just the kind of intro of this. There is a, there is a twist to the story that happens. Everyone has a kind of unique bit of telekinetic powers. Hers are crazy amazing. <laughs> she's basically a, uh, a human potato peeler. Anyway, I've said too much. Uh, that's 20XX, issue number one from Image Comics. Get this. I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. Very interesting. Very topical. Very, uh, it definitely felt uh, a very possible near future for us, which is a bit frightening and cool at the, at the same time. So definitely, definitely get 20XX. And the next one uh, is uh, The Butcher of Paris, issue number one. This is from Dark Horse Comics. And this is from, written by Stephanie Phillips and art by Dean Kotz. And I love Stephanie Phillips' kind of writing style. She's very, uh, she's very edgy, very kind of brutal. And this is uh, based on a true story. This is something that after I read this, I had to look this up online to kind of see how close this was to the truth. Did Stephanie Phillips kind of deviate and do her own thing? This is set in Nazi-occupied Paris in 1944. Now that's on page one, and that's a 50-50 for me. Sometimes when it comes to comics, especially the one that says it's a true story based on you know, Nazis and World War II, I can kind of go either way, depending on the creative team, etc. <clears throat> the art is solid here from Dean. It's based on true physics. There's not a lot of uh, uh, sort of 
uh, crazy artistic deviation here. It's very realistic, very drawn very specifically, but he does, definitely has a style, and he also does a, um, a good job of differentiating other characters except the Nazis. <laughs> they all look like six-foot-tall, blonde-haired, uh, very athletically built people, like stormtroopers, <clears throat> which I'm okay with if that's his sort of art artistic rendering. Everyone else looks different enough to where you're not confused. That's a big thing. But it looks very much uh, like its time. It looks very much like Paris in its time in the 40s. And I like that. I was immersed in that immediately. So if you enjoy that, uh, you know, films that are movies, comic books, TV shows that are set in a particular era, you'll like this. It definitely feels realistic and proper. And The Butcher of Paris <clears throat> is ultimately about... A, uh, it is about a serial killer, a absolutely gruesome serial killer that uses the uh, the the sort of what Nazis are doing to the, you know to Jewish people as a sort of a sort of hidden way to be a serial killer. So this is a crazy story, <clears throat> and it kind of focuses in on the first issue of how they found out about this particular uh, character. And his name uh, is, escapes me, but it will come up soon. But it's crazy that they had this... It was under the ruse of being like an underground railroad for Jewish people to escape Paris. And in reality, they were being drugged, uh, they, were, they were getting chloroformed, and they were being killed by this serial killer. And even people, I believe, that were Jewish felt it was a real... Um, it was a real sort of underground railroad, so they would refer people very quietly, of course, to this insane, evil serial killer doctor that was murdering people left and right. Yeah. And I love the uh, Stephanie Phillips story at the very end. She has a, like a great-great-great-grandparent that was uh, in World War II and, and that she was watching a documentary and it was sort of a throwaway line of The Butcher of Paris <clears throat> and she had to kind of dig into that and say, well, what the heck was the, who was the butcher of Paris? And then kind of came into this and realized there's really not a lot of documentaries or things out there about this serial killer, which, uh, his name was, uh, again, escaping me. Um, but it'll come up anyway. Um, uh, the trial Marcel Petiot. That's who it was. Yeah. If you're going to, you, you got to kind of Google him. But uh, they don't really know the full extent of how many people this person murdered. And it, it very much is not like me to read comic books based on a true story. But I, I fell into this. I enjoyed it. The, the tone of it, the look of it, the immersion of the time zone, and the, just the bananas of this, of this and how this worked and, and this, what this serial killer really did uh, is just it's insane. So check out The Butcher of Paris, issue number one. It doesn't say how many it's going to be. I, I got a feeling it feels like a, maybe a six-issue series. Not sure, but Butcher of Paris from Dark Horse, Stephanie Phillips. Check it out. Gruesome tale. So next up, uh, this is the third of five uh, uh, that are my top picks for December 4th. Uh, next up is Collapser, issue number six of six. This is from DC's Young Animal Imprint, and is written by Mikey Way, and this is drawn by... Elias Kiriaziz. This is definitely, uh, I, I, I didn't really uh, have a artist winner of the week or cover artist winner of the week, uh, which I do from most of the time. But I would say that it goes to Elias. His art was phenomenal, gorgeous. This cover is fantastic. It's this like explosion of stuff. 
And in the center of it, kind of sun-based colors, there's a lot of blue and orange and yellow. It's like this explosion of this black hole, yet then kind of the sun explodes from that, and then stuff from records and coffee mugs and pens and pencils and just earbuds. It's just this explosion of junk <laughs> that's centered around this beautiful black hole sort of erupting. And Collapser has been a top pick of the week a bunch of couple of times. So it's definitely a series because this is six of six that I, that I seriously recommend to you. It's probably my favorite of the young animal imprint. I kind of thought they were done with that. But when I saw it, I was like, great. And Mikey Way, who I guess is Gerard Way's brother. I'm like, hey, I'll give it a shot. Uh, the young animal imprint is created by Gerard Way of uh, My Chemical Romance, which I love that band. And uh, I hope they're getting back together. There's some rumors that they might. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so Collapser. Man, this was just a lot of fun. It had a, a little more lighthearted and fun feel than some of the other animal imprint or it, where it was accessible. It wasn't so wacky and out there and otherworldly and bananas. This was definitely a tangible kind of superhero character that uh, was able to harness the, uh, the power of a black hole. And the black hole is actually kind of an entity. It's actually kind of a person, a, a sort of spiritual being, if you will. So I love that little twist on this character that has a black hole that he, that he uses as a superpower. And also his father had this power his mother had this power and you and you find out through the series it wasn't sort of you know uh, a genetic trait that it, it is actually an entity that's passed down uh from family member to family member and i love that it's the black holes sort of alter ego is this old man that uh it, it just looks like wouldn't hurt a fly just like everyone's kind of grandfather in your mind you know glasses and he's a he's a pudgy kind of curmudgeon guy but he's sweet at the same time and yet uh, sometimes he speaks a little bit cryptically like a little bit yoda like so just the character design and development of that character alone the black holes sort of alter ego other part of his entity was interesting enough but the main character himself is kind of a a millennial he is a dj <laughs> he uh, is a sort of at odds with where he fits into the world i like that and that he's never really 100 percent sure on anything that he does so he lives in sort of a, a little bit of a moral amb ambiguity even at times he kind of dips into maybe i am the all-powerful omnipotent being and it will be my way and no one else's so he's not really sure about what he's doing there because in like issue one his mother uh dies very cool little uh, how that happens and the 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 black hole is mailed to him like express fedex space mailed to him and so it messes his life up it messes up his relationship with his girlfriend and this this black hole entity is like a father figure to him as well so he wants to please this character there is this bounty hunter sort of that's on the run to end the black hole because of some of the horrible things that the character's father did when he harnessed the power of the black hole and there is also this kind of nazi character that wants to possess the power of the black hole so all of this is is going on at the same time i just love that so much blue and black is used in this comic as well there's this lovely splash page right around the center that has kind of every thought rolling around in this character's head as uh, he's again struggling to fight this villain that steals the black hole for from him for a minute but again it's an actual entity uh, he, he's not sort of like we can rub the lamp and psh, what do you need psh, what do you need 
that doesn't happen. So um, I love it. It's a complex story. Yes, it's got some sci-fi, uh, otherworldly, uh, space oddity madness in there, harnessing the power of a black hole. Don't really, his powers aren't completely defined, so they're a little bit kind of out there. There's also this weird alien race because he sort of opens this portal where they all sort of look like uh, squirrel beings of some sort. Very small kind of a... Uh, squirrel-like humanoids i love them they seem like they're the watchers they're kind of just observing this situation and kind of help him when he most needed it but it's also some great like friendship development in the collapser so even you can kind of get to to chew on that because he's he's definitely a likable character that you can get behind honestly when i when i saw it first that he was like a millennial and he's like a dj i, I rolled my eyes i'm like oh boy Maybe not for me, but no, I enjoyed it. He was a very likable character. It was a lot of fun, and it was very colorful, and it was just—it's it, one of these comics that'll just make you happy. It's just a good superhero comic. So get the six issues of Collapser. You will definitely enjoy them uh, from page one to page end. It was just a wonderful romp, fun, good time. So uh, next up after Collapser is Dead Eyes, issue number three. And uh, Dead Eyes is a Image Comics, and it's written by Mr. Jerry Duggan. I believe his first name is Jerry, <laughs> as I'm digging from my memory. Yes, I was right, Jerry Duggan. Art by John McRae. And I love his his coloring, uh, Mike Spicer's coloring in this, by the way. It just accents John McRae's lovely pencil so well. Definitely a unique kind of cartoony uh, kind of art style, but yet all here is um, definitely a... a a very kind of respect to true physics and very often um, he, there are some great sliced panels here I love that the panel work is wonderful in this I, I just it feels like they are the synergy is top-notch here because there's some great zoom-ins zoom-outs cuts there's some you know oblong shaped panels it's a little all over the place and that definitely keeps it interesting and doesn't get boring but Dead Eyes is like I think this is all kind of set all those flashbacks to, I think, the 80s and 90s, where he was a kind of a vigilante, kind of punisher with a code, but he was more of a bank robber. He didn't just, um, you know, kill horrible people. He was mostly doing it to rob banks, but he was also kind of that Robin Hood-like character where he'd steal from the rich and give to the poor, or he was going after kind of evil corporations and so on. And there were times where he kind of left that code a bit. He, there's sprinkles of that, but for the most part, he tried to do kind of what's right for the people. Even when um, his heist goes wrong and his driver is hurt, he goes to the hospital and makes sure that some of the money that he stole from a bank, etc., or from wherever, was was that his driver was taken care of and even like donated some of it to the hospital. <laughs> you know, so there's definitely kind of a code, and he's a character you can get behind. Very kind of cool design to Dead Eyes. This was a renamed. It was a comic book that was it was like sort of sh shut down for a minute because. Uh, I think it was like Dead Rabbit was the name of it before. I do believe that's the name of it. And there was like a restaurant or something named Dead Rabbit. So they were given a cease and desist. They had to change the name, stop circulation, and then reissue uh, 1 and 2. And I do believe 3 is finally the new issue because we got 1 and 2 before. I want to say it was a year or two ago. Then a cease and desist happened. And then they re-released 1, 2 again. So I already read those. But when 3 came out, I was like, yes, because this is finally... The story picks back up. So if you hadn't read any of, of Dead Rabbit or, or Dead Eyes yet, get all three issues because uh, this is definitely interesting. He has a, um, a, a sort of a handicapped, uh, ill 
uh, wife in this that he's really doing this for. So again, back to the vigilante with a code. He's they have crazy medical bills and no medical insurance, and so yeah, it's just that sort of that's going on. So definitely, it's a character you can kind of get behind as far as vigilantes go. And uh, this has like the mob believes that that Deadeye stole millions of dollars from him, so they're after him as well. And he's got to kind of protect his buddy, his driver, uh, there. And they're they're quickly trying to find this buddy to torture him and find Deadeyes. So he's trying to protect his friend. That's all messed up from this, you know, kind of heist gone wrong. And he also was kind of retired. He kind of got away from it. He was trying to go legit, but uh, you know, it just brought him back the bills. You know, brought him right back into the fold of being a vigilante. <clears throat> so, Dead Eyes, issue number three. It's been great. Great team. Great art. It's gritty. It's fun. It has a, like I said, a, a kind of grounded in realism uh, aspect as far as, you know, the he, he constant nods to kind of how messed up the, the, you know, the medical industry is and so on. So, I dig it. Dead Eyes, check it out. Issue number three. Uh, get the previous two issues because uh, again, you're gonna you're gonna want to just jump right in. It's this killer with a code, and um, he's you know he's got doctor bills. I love oh I love this scene too. This this where a guy's killed by an MRI. You got to see how it's done. <laughs> so he definitely has a unique way of killing his opponents at times. Mister Dead Eyes does, but I don't think I've ever seen that where it was death by MRI. <laughs> so check it out. Most definitely check it out. And uh, and so the. That's the, oh, the last of uh, the five issues. Here, there's another, the fifth one uh, from December 4th is uh, Midnight Vista, issue number four. And uh, Midnight Vista has been a previous Sunspots Comics top pick, so it's back. And it's from Aftershock Comics. This is written by Elliot Rahal, and it's beautiful art by newcomer artist Clara Meath. You got to check out her stuff. She's fantastic. This cover is phenomenal. It's just this... Uh, fire in the sky, green, all green cover, different shades of green as someone is being abducted. And there's like a forest down at the at the floor, which is also kind of in the shape of like an alien head or a or a skull. So I love the design, very symmetrical design. And this lime green to pale green to a starlit green night with white speckly stars to a, like a moon in the background. As a human is being just abducted and sucked up into a ray of light into a ufo cover is astounding of midnight vista issue number four but i love most of all what i love about this is the mother that lost her son and her boyfriend to this alien abduction um, and she finally hears that her son is just uh, has arrived they've the aliens have just dropped him off but not her boyfriend and i love that she always kept the faith mrs flores kept the faith and never gave up on her son she always kept looking for him she does have that <laughs> kind of typical attic room that you see in uh you know in psychopaths homes where a bunch of pictures are all kind of connected by yarn and stuff yes she got obsessed it was a little crazy but she loves her son and she never gave up and there's two like men in black wearing skin suit humanoids that must have a sort of hypnotic power because no one's freaking out when they're when they walk into a room like what the heck is that? They never do. And and they're clearly wearing like skin suits and at times have these yellowish glowing eyes. So they most definitely have some sort of mojo on people to where they don't see these weird aliens walking around, but they're like the uh, it seems like now they made maybe they decided they made a bad decision by letting this young man uh, loose. He was like 
uh, I want to say eight years old, and then 15 years later, they said, eh, I guess we're done testing him and freaking doing all these crazy experiments on him, which if you've ever seen Fire in the Sky, watch the the abduction sequence. It's horrifying. There, It definitely uh, feels like an homage, like it's paying uh, it respects to Fire in the Sky, at least that sequence, a bit. Or, you know... All those kind of alien abduction films, because even the uh, and I love these flashbacks to him being, uh, you know, when he's actually in when he's captured, uh, they they have flashbacks of him and his mom's boyfriend, where they're just trying to figure things out. They're shapeshifters; these aliens are, and they want to make him comfortable. They keep telling him that we're not hurting you, but there's times where they're like, you know, sticking these crazy laser sharp things into their eyeballs. And taking their organs out and putting them back together. And they're just doing all these crazy experiments. And he's like, and, and one, I love the scene where he's shape-shifting to this young boy. He's like eight years old. He's like, if you want to feel comfortable, I could be your mom. He's like, zap, I'm your mom. I could be Abraham Lincoln. He's like, zap. And he's just like, anything to make you comfortable. Or like, maybe this little fuzzy blue character. And boom, he's like this little teddy bear thing. Like a little blue alien. So they're trying to make him feel comfortable as they're doing these horrifying experiments on this young boy. Like eight-year-old boy. And so there's also this policeman, a local policeman in the town that is it's finally kind of going, something doesn't smell right here. There's four issues that, you know, finally he's like, I don't know about this whole story. But the mother now is on the run. She's living on the lamb. There's this scene here where you're, you're invested. You love this relationship between the mother and the son. And maybe the mother is, uh, is the mother going to make it? You're like, uh, I don't want to say too much. And then there's also this scene where he's uh, the young boy's on the run, and he kind of gets uh, he gets a, a a referral to where to go somewhere to seek some help, and it's this strange kind of cult, this alien following cult that has some strange rules to it, and I love that. It's definitely this uh, this you know their obsessive alien cult that he's stumbled upon. But yeah, where is Midnight Vista gonna go? Will they will the son and 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 mom reunite? Will the, will the boyfriend eventually show up? Because he was abducted at the same time, so we still don't know what's happening to him. So uh, I'm all in. Midnight Vista is a ton of fun. It's very fast-paced, very action-packed, and some great, gruesome alien abduction sequences. And, uh, and yeah, there's some, some heavy torture stuff that goes on here, too, with Mrs. Perez that'll just get you angry. It made me angry because you, you love this mom that never gave up on her son. Um, so anyway, that is Midnight Vista from Aftershock Comics. Get it. Check it out. That's the fifth and final recommendation from New Comic Book Week, December 4th. So now we're in December 11th. Also, there are five top picks here. So the first one is Ether, issue number four. I, I think almost every, uh, one, two, and three of Ether have been top picks of the week. For art, beautiful, amazing art uh, from David Rubin. And this is written by Matt Kent. This is from Dark Horse Comics. This is Ether, The Disappearance of Violet Bell, issue number four. And this is the second volume of Ether. I definitely recommend picking up the first volume of Ether. It's some of the most beautiful art I've ever seen. It's, it's like nothing you've ever looked at. It is uh, twisted and odd and strange and extremely heavily penciled and detailed, but it's not to where you can't understand what's happening. It's not too cosmic or too weird to where like you are just lost from it. it it's, it's like it's, it's a blend as well. There's a, a character named Boone. And he is just so perfectly humanoid and, and all respects to true physics there. And then you have this incredible, weird fantasy world that is uh, that he's kind of tapped into. That he's ultimately trying to uh, bring uh, science into the world of fantasy. 
and solve some of their problems. He, his own personal life has been destroyed by going into the ether, going into this fantasy realm. His personal life, uh, it also twists time, uh, jumps forward whenever he's gone for like a day in the ether. It's like uh, three months in the real world so that just jacked his entire entire personal life and in this volume that's kind of what volume one was about volume two the disappearance of violet bell he's trying to find a good friend of his and there's also this person that wants to take over and run and destroy the portal to the ether which will he believes in time kill everyone in the ether so he's trying to save the ether and find his his friend who he's also kind of attracted to and uh and it, it, you don't really know if this character is a, a, a man or woman, kind of, you know, gender central, gender, gender neutral, which is great, and a fairy kind of at the same time, like a, an actual mystical, you know, winged fairy. So I love that. I love that twist on uh, relationships and, and that sort of thing. I love it. It's a little unique and different. And the opening sequence of this is enough to just check it out. Just There's an action sequence here. Boone, who is the scientist, has his, his best friend, his, his right-hand man, who is like this uh, giant sort of silverback gorilla, in, but twisted in a humanoid way, that lives in the ether that's kind of the gatekeeper. And he's convinced him to go on this journey with him to find Violet Bell. And they are um, there's this assassin that is like this scarab come to life, like a, like a Egyptian scarab, a black sort of mixed with a cobra... Um, Fair, like pharaoh-y kind of thing that is amazing the design in it in itself it's got these strange uh like uh poison darts and like these knives that come out of its arms and i love the sort of black and uh yellow and red and that has this cobra-like feel to it so that uh, alone uh, they finally kind of found this scarab assassin that should hopefully lead them closer to where um to where violet bell is but we also get a backstory of this assassin, and it's kind of like a, the mummy, in a way, is the backstory of this crazy scarab fantasy assassin. And, uh, man, it's crazy fighting skills. They barely have, uh, they're barely doing anything to, to overcome this assassin. They're just, they're just trying to stay alive and trying to get clues as to where Violet Bell is. And then they're visited by another character that kind of from Volume 1 that kind of comes, sweeps in to help save the day here that smokes these weird like uh alien cigarettes <laughs> that all are like sort of magical dark magic spells and uses them to torture this uh, scarab assassin so that's all that's what's happening here in ether it's a lot it's a uh, it's definitely strong continuity here hard to just pick up each issue and go with but ether has been a cover artist winner of the week multiple times ether has been a artist winner of the week multiple times and top pick of the week uh, at least five or six times so Definitely get Ether. It's one of my favorite comics of the last couple of years. Uh, again, that's uh, written by Matt Kent and beautiful, wonderful art by one of my favorite artists of all time, David Rubin. And again, this is from Dark Horse Comics. Ether, issue number four. Get it. Get it immediately. Next up is uh, Morbius, issue number two. This is from Marvel Comics. Issue number one of Morbius was a top pick. This is The Living Vampire, and I highly recommend the issue number one. So crazy, it uh, doesn't happen often, where an issue number one and an issue number two are on my top pick list. And this is from writer Vida Ayala and penciler Marcelo Ferreira. And uh, this is uh, surprisingly more dark, uh, bloody, and gruesome than I thought this Marvel comic would be. So I'm really impressed with that right from the get-go. 
and it's it's got a it, it reminds me of Spawn in some ways because of his his just his red cape that's just sort of has holes and and it, it flows around him almost like it's alive uh, to Morbius. I love that. So it has this sort of taste and texture and feel and uh, uh, again the shadowy like work and bright red cape like Spawn. So if you're a Spawn fan, you can get that for this alone. But vampires, <laughs> it's like this and dark red. I've been absolutely joy enjoying. Don't I don't read it. I don't usually gravitate to a lot of vampire comics, but I am a fan of Morbius, and I hope Spider-Man shows up. It just seems like a a natural thing for to happen. But who knows? You know, tune in. Could happen. It could not. But. This is just so fast-paced. It's so much fun. I read it in about three minutes. So it's not a heavy dialogue kind of comic. The art here from Marcelo Ferreira is out of this world detailed. He does that sort of shadowing thing where even like muscles on the arm will have that shadowing effect to it. So it really gives this dark featured character a very gruesome texture. And his teeth and his face, when they're dripping blood, it just looks absolutely stellar. It's iconic. Morbius looks fantastic. That, of course, no-nose-looking vampire. He at, at the very end of issue one, he takes a serum that he hopes would cure him, and it does the opposite. It like uh, It's like, like vampire steroids. <laughs> it's like vampire creatine happening or something. And he just takes his uh, powers to level 12. And he's sort of losing his personality. He's losing grip on controlling this. He's got to find another serum. He's got to find something else to bring him back down to a level. I love the scene where he's testing his blood and he sees that something different's happening. Not just a transformation in his blood, but a decay. There's like a rot that's happening. So not good. He doesn't know if it's temporary or, or permanent. He does have a you know vampire healing ability. Is that going to help with this serum that he took? He also has to kind of find out why this serum is doing that to him at the same time there's like a van helsing kind of woman that's someone from his past that wants to put morbius down forever yes she's got silver she's got the wooden spikes she probably got a crucifix or three and silver bullets etc so yeah a lot of the uh the typical uh vampire rules are here except for that morbius does kind of he's bothered by sunlight from what i remember we haven't seen sunlight in the two issues yet, so we'll, I don't know if there's any rule change in that regard. But this this artist does a fantastic job of going from extreme uh, anger in Morbius's face to also a look of like she's from my past and do I hurt her? And then this sort of uncontrolled look on Morbius's face, wonderful emotes on everyone's face here. You can see the look of anger and hatred on this uh, woman, this kind of Van Helsingish woman. That wants to destroy Michael Morbius. But yeah, he has a code too. He's not trying to kill people. I mean, he does drink blood, but they don't catch the vampire disease. He's not really a vampire sort of-ish. You know, he, he got his powers from kind of experimenting on himself. And got a, like a rare blood disorder. So, he doesn't really turn people. It doesn't turn people. So, I gotta go. I gotta see where this is going. It's been a ton of fun. Like I said, fast read, action-packed. Beautiful, beautiful art. And check it out, Morbius issue number two. I highly recommend getting the first issue and uh, quick reads. You'll enjoy them and, and you'll love them. And if you want to keep Halloween going, this is definitely a one I would recommend. Morbius issue number two from Marvel Comics. Get it, get it, get it. And coming up next is a new number one. This is a Red, The Red Mother from Boom Studios. This is issue number one. This is from written by Jeremy Hahn, who I'm not familiar with, but uh, I'm definitely going to 
check into him and maybe I'm, I'm definitely a fan his writing is, is top notch here and one of my favorite artists of all time Danny Luckert I was fortunate enough to have Danny on one of my podcasts Mr. Danny Luckert uh, in the past it's on our Sunspots Comics podcast feed check out my interview with Danny Luckert the artist here of the Red Mother issue number one um, again this is from uh, from Boom Studios so I, I love where Boom is going they, they're definitely starting to put out uh, unique stories and other type of things besides a lot of the licensed things they do and I gotta give them hats off to the Red Mother stunning cover with this uh, sort of weird um, woman that's all red that's uh, standing behind our main character here with one hand over her eye and the eye floating in her hands in front of her. So Danny Luckert crushed this cover. It's so symmetrical the way the hair flows evenly on both sides. And again, just stunning like something you haven't seen to where the character that is red is missing an eye and she's covering the eye of a regular human that's colored normally and the eye is floating in her hands. Yes. What does all that mean? And the opening sequence of this uh, strange, uh, out-of-time, dilapidated building with sort of brickwork crumbling around it and this this being that's, that's more skeleton than anything, this sort of floating corpse with this red, tassel-y scarf kind of flowing around it. Again, a little spawn-like <laughs> that it's a, you know, a deteriorated red kind of cape flowing around this skeleton as it deteriorates sort of Thanos snapping before our very eyes and it's just all red all dark red so page one I was like okay yeah I'm in and just so lovingly detailed from Danny Luckert he pays a ton of detail a ton of attention a ton of love and sweat and blood and tears to all the tiny fine little lines of detail that's Danny Luckert check it out it's so inspiring and we get a great little sort of origin story to this character. I love that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very understandable. It's very reachable. It's, very, it's a story you can capture and understand. It's so far and, and sprinkles in some mystery. But it's a character that's walking like in New York somewhere. And they're like, you know, kind of on a date. And they're flirting with each other. They're having this lovely evening. And it just goes all wrong. Where um, they go into this sort of dark alley. They hear a weird sound. And they just, maybe someone's in danger and the boyfriend tries to sort of help. He's abducted and she quickly, a figure of some sort, flies by so quickly. It's almost like a flash. The flash like blurs right by and just plucks her eye out. Yeah. And then she goes unconscious and she has sort of a dream of red. And she wakes up and she's been unconscious for some time and she's missing her eye. And now she's... They, they take time here. It's, it's you know, how would a real person deal with this? They, the person that they love is gone. Their eye was plucked out of their head. They've been in a, they're in a hospital bed, and there's these strangers that are there. They do such a great job of, Danny does, of, of painting that emotion on this character's face. She's suffering through this. She's having a difficult time. You get that emotion here because of Danny Luckard's amazing skill. And so there's this woman there with silver hair. She's sort of asking questions. Is she a detective? I'm not sure. She seems like she knows some information, but not really passing on. Is there? A, is that just a great job of writing here? And and you know that that silver-haired woman didn't establish herself. Like I'm detective whoever, or did she? And she's kind of coming out of this coma. I love that aspect uh, to where she's you know struggling with trying to find. <laughs> 
uh, gravity and trying to find a, the reality of, of things here because she just can't believe that this is happening to her, you know. And then uh, she immediately has a, you know, a, 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 an eye specialist come in to kind of give her a replacement glass eye. And it's this, this warm, friendly doctor that puts her at ease and does this wonderful job. And she's got this scar and she has to take droplets. And it's just like, that's, that's the issue one of the Red Mother. It's just kind of establishing that and setting a great, interesting start. And I love the sequence where she goes to a therapist. So it's all just a, you know, a very reality-based situation that's happening here. But something very unreality, unrealistic is happening to her. And then she's having these sort of visions. And it's tied into that character we see at the very beginning. So... Uh, on the cover, and even the cover is kind of real estate again as to what's happening in the and the meaty deliciousness of the Red Mother issue number one. So, get it, get it, get it. Check it out from Boom Studios. Jeremy Hahn, Danny Luckert, one of my favorite artists of all time. The Red Mother, wonderful horror, interesting, mysterious story. The Red Mother. <laughs> uh, next up is uh, the Spider Verse issue number three of six. From Marvel Comics, of course. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of the movie uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I love it. This is just dancing upon that love. It's just, It just keeps that going. I know they've got a sequel plan for Into the Spider-Verse. I can't wait. Cannot wait. Cannot, cannot wait. Absolutely. On the cover of this is this beautiful, dark New York sky. Just with some grit and painty sort of splashes on it. With Miles Morales flipping through the sky. Right above SPDR. I wonder if they actually pronounce it Spider, maybe? Or is it just SPDR? Um, SPDR was created by... Uh, this was uh, created by um, Gerard Way. And uh, co-created... Uh, I think he also co gives co-creating credit to uh, another guy, which his name escapes me. But anyway, it'll come to me. But this is written by Jed McKay, and this is art by Dyke Ruan. R-U-A-N. And great action opening sequence here where SPDR, uh, Daredevil is injured. And this is like a Daredevil of an alternate Earth, of course. SPDR is from an alternate kind of manga, anime kind of style Earth. And Miles Morales is zipping through uh, the web of life, uh, trying to find out who wants to destroy the web of life, basically. And trying to sort of help stabilize things. And he's sort of bouncing through the webverse, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, in the spider-verse. He's bouncing through, trying to just sort of help and go to go to his friends that he's known and seen and dealt with before, and ask him if they've seen anything regarding to the the you know the webverse being destroyed. And he happens to now go into the SPDR verse, and Daredevil is hurt, and SPDR is fighting like a Craven, like uh, or Craven, the villain in the SPDR's universe. So Miles is trying to help, and I love that they've definitely ranked up, powered up the Craven. In this sort of anime manga world of SPDR, this robotic uh, spider that is uh, has this psychic link to Penny Parker, who her uh, father Peter Parker died, and uh, had this had experimented on this spider, but like his sort of consciousness transferred into the spider, and the spider now sort of uh, is is the heart of this SPDR robot, and she has a psychic connection to this spdr robot and that's more of a mech suit in this than the than the into the spider-verse cartoon fe fe uh, feature film 
So I like the sleekness of this design. Yeah, I have uh, the uh, the build, the build a character Marvel series uh, action figure of this, where you know the the Marvel series you get a piece of the SPDR in this set, and you have to buy like ten action figures, and then you put together this sort of giant size 15 inch SPDR. Uh, I just recently posted a picture of it at, at Sunspots Comics, so check it out. But the opening sequence alone takes a good quarter of the comic. Uh, of them fighting Craven together, and they can barely hold him off. He's definitely powered up. He has a camouflaging power that's awesome, and he has—he's wielding some sort of red diamond in his forehead, and I, they believe he's being sort of psychically controlled by possibly a new villain on the scene here. The red diamond—I I believe so. Maybe that's a hint into this. We'll see. But uh, I love that there's a Penny Parker has her um, like Uncle Ben and Aunt May that are the. Um, the people at the chair, the <laughs> in the desk, in the computer room that are that that are in her ear, kind of advising her and telling her what to do, and I love the way that Penny Parker actually is able to outwit the Craven because I do believe if she hadn't have done what she did here to outwit him, Craven was definitely beating the both of them. So it's it's cool what she does here because Craven seems to be sort of being controlled by this red diamond and not have all of his uh, sort of sort of all of his thoughts, all of his memory. He definitely feels like he's controlled in a way, but not fully controlled. So, man, I love it. it and, and before you know it, it's over. That the, it, it does lean into what happens, what's going to happen next. I love that each issue, he's bouncing around the Spider-Verse and running into different characters, and some of them which have been new, because this has been a top pick of the week, uh, I believe, one and two? Maybe just one, because uh, they introduced uh, the Monsterverse and there's a sort of monster spider in the first issue. I absolutely love it. And there was also that uh, that um, Mad Max spider in the first issue. So I love this. It's just focused around a character I really love, the design of, and everything. That's SPDR and Penny Parker. And Miles Morales is there to sort of help and team up. So Spider-Verse, issue number three from Marvel. Get it. Great team. Fantastic art. The art has been changing, I believe. I, I hope they keep uh, this Dyke Ruan here. Uh, fantastic art, so I, I kind of hope they keep it going with this art, but we'll see. But Spider-Verse issue number three, get it immediately. It's great, great stuff. And uh, yeah, here we are. This is the fifth and final comic of, uh, of December 11th. So this is the 10th recommendation, the 10th and final recommendation for the two new comic book days. So the 10th and final top pick of the week that I recommend to you is Superman. Issue number 18 of DC Comics. This is written by Brian Michael Bendis. He's uh, one of the greatest writers of all time. Mostly DC. Now he's with Marvel. So that's just been a huge shakeup in the biz. Uh, and pencils by Ivan Reese. And I do believe the pencils sort of change up in this a couple times. That's a little jarring. But Ivan takes the brunt of all the art. And I'll tell you, I haven't been reading a ton of Superman. Superman has not been a top comic book pick of the week for me in a long 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 time brian michael bendis's stuff on superman have been hit or miss for me but this had a big reveal in it this actually had some sort of semi-news articles semi-news you know internet uh, links and internet articles and so on highlighting this particular comic because the big sort of event that happens in this is that spider-man reveal or spider-man superman reveals to the world that he is clark kent now, I believe he's done this before. I don't remember exactly where. Or that people have figured out his identity, etc. His villains have. It, and, but this is, I think, the first time he's come out in a huge way. Held a press conference here 
to tell the world that he's Clark Kent. But before he kind of does that, what's mixed in beautifully into this, which will get you going with feelings of nostalgia, get you feelings of Americana, get you feelings of uh, just good feels of, you know, the red and blue Boy Scout that wants to always do the right thing, is when he sort of is, is having a conversation with himself and with a few of his fellow heroes about why does he keep his secret identity? Like, why? He wants the world to trust him. He wants, uh, he's very proud of being Clark Kent and Superman. He's like, why does he lie about it? And he's just kind of going through this internal monologue and external monologue of why has he been hiding it? Like, it, does, it made sense for a while that, you know, that his enemies, uh, you know, did not know that to keep the people he loved safe. But they're so in Superman's life anyway. It also just kind of makes a lot of sense for modern storytelling today to, you know, not just have the glasses, uh, be this weird magical power that people can't figure it out so it's just kind of like you know maybe brian michael bendis said you know we got to give a little bit of reality into superman so let's make him come out and say hey i'm clark kent and have been and i love the press conference at the beginning of this and how he addresses people immediately you know my name is kal-el i was born on a planet that no longer exists most of you lovingly have come to call me superman and it has been my honor to help out whenever i can but there's something else I think you need to know about me. And it's just this, it just has this reverie and this this just power and this warmth coming from him that, that Brian Michael Bendis pulls off so perfectly. So before they go into just him laying it out in the, in the press conference, he speaks to an unlikely uh, person. You'd think he would kind of go to Batman or he'd go to, you know, Wonder Woman, etc. or someone else. The, kind of the first person he goes to is Adam Strange. And Adam Strange is like, <laughs> I love that he adds a little humor into it, even because he is kind of a, I don't know, a goofy character. But um, <laughs> Adam, when he's getting ready to tell Adam Strange, like, oh, he's all, hey, uh, I'm, you know, I have a secret identity. And Adam Strange is like, are you Batman? Are you also Batman? <laughs> and then Superman's like, I've heard that joke before. <laughs> but anyway, he, he kind of tells him and has this conversation about, you know, you know, you've always been, there's no secret identity for Adam Strange. Like, how do you live your life? And he's like, look, there, it's just, you know, I'm proud to be both. And if you are too, maybe that's right for you. And, and so they just, he just has that, that simple conversation where I think his decision's already made, but he's kind of just talking it out to kind of make sure that people are aware of it, you know, in the superhero community and that they maybe have a chunk of uh, knowledge that can, Maybe help sway him in one way or the other, because he he seems like he's 60-40, but maybe that's what it's about. It's kind of bouncing it off your buddies and seeing, hey, is this the right thing to do? And there's a lot of these panels right after where he sees Adam Strange. Ivan Reese Rice just crushes this all wordless panel of just kind of Clark Kent's anxiety coming into the Daily Planet, walking past all the people that he loves, and telling Perry White for the first time. And he even like kind of scans Perry White's heart. To see kind of where his heart rate's at. And it's just a wordless single splash page of like six very sliced, you know, horizontal panels. Uh, also kind of silhouetted in, sh in, in shadow where Clark Kent walks into the uh, Perry White's office. Perry White's first a little, just from body language. Because again, there's no words in this. This, this got me misty-eyed. Perry, Perry White like puts his arms to his side. Clark Kent is like, hands out, like, whoa, hang on, Perry, I have something to tell you. And then opens his shirt, and there's like a glowing, because of how it's kind of in the dark, you know, the glowing, iconic Superman symbol. 
And Perry White just sits down, like schlump, like what? And he walks towards Clark Kent. As we, they're not using any dialogue here, with his hand kind of out, and then they hug and they embrace. And that's it. And it's so powerful and it's so moving. It just, uh, it moved me to almost tears. I was just like, man, I haven't read a Superman comic in a long time. And this made me so joyous and so happy. And that sequence alone was uh, just made me so happy. And I'm glad that I read it just for that alone. It's like middle of the comic. The uh, Clark Kent telling Perry White that he's Superman. Wonderfully done. I'm getting misty and, and spider tingly chills right now. <laughs> anyway. But then he goes to tell Jimmy Olsen. And Jimmy Olsen uh, plays a little practical joke on him. It's great. It's a funny sequence. I loved it. I, I, I laughed out loud. And it doesn't happen very often. And, uh, and then it's kind of brought to heart with a, a, a scene with his wife, with Lois. They talk about where Jonathan is, which I didn't even know. Where Jonathan's off to like space college or something. So, <laughs> And then it goes back into the, the full press conference. And it's just so beautifully written. And how will this shake up things is what's kind of tailed upon in the third act of Superman 18. But it's a wonderful press conference. It's like Christopher Reeve's uh, a soul is being pumped in to Brian Michael Bendis' writing here. And it just uh, it will it'll make you nostalgic. It'll make you feel good. It'll make you it'll give you hope, which is great. Um, and that it's so hard to do in comics. So he pulled it off here with like, hey, I'm proud of it, and this is what I'm going to tell you. And you know, and also at the same time, he's just thanking people and telling them how how lucky he is and how happy he is to have everything that he has. And how is this going to shake the world up? I don't know. I think I got to read Superman from here. So for me. Jump on here, see what happens in 19, Superman issue number 18, the sentimental winner of the week, and what a great team, what a wonderful comic it was, it just made me happy, filled with joy, it made me, again, just solidify uh, my love of comics, it's it's what you want, so, so there you go, those are all the 10 new comic recommendations uh, for the last two new comic book days, again, that's December 4th and December 11th, let me go ahead and lock the comic book vault door <laughs> there you go so please support your local comic book shop buy these 10 comic books immediately I, I promise you they will bring you nerdy joy <laughs> and and so much happiness trust me if you have any questions comments or you want a personal comic book recommendation my email is chris at sunspotscomics.com our website is sunspotscomics.com and all the social media is at sunspotscomics and also, thank you to our sponsor, Pop-Up Tea. Check out their huge, mongous selection of nerdy, fun t-shirts at popuptea.com. They got shirts for every nerdy thing you can think of. Trust me. Use the promotional code SUNSPOTSCOMICS on popuptea.com, and you will get 25% off of any shirt order, even the clearance stuff. It's very, very affordable website, so check it out. All nerdy goodness at popuptea.com. So please tune in next week. Tune in next time for issue number 217 of the Sunspots Comics Podcast. Where, oh my gosh, next week I have a pull list of 28 comics on my pull list. Oh my gosh, almost 30 comics. New comic book day uh, for new comic book day, December 18th. That's a lot. And 11 of them are new number ones that I'm definitely excited to read. Just want to give you a quick little sprinkle. Here are just some of the new comics that I'm looking forward to reading next week on new comic book day, December 18th. Uh, Basketful of Heads issue number three, keeping Halloween going. That's Joe Hill. Horrific story. Um, Count Crowley issue number three is next week. I love that that weird kind of Elvira 
uh, series that's that's also just werewolves and Draculas and so on. Uh, Klaus, Life and Times of Joe Christmas. So Klaus uh, from time to time is like the story of a uh, young Santa Claus or Claus. Maybe it's Klaus. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's a, it's a one-shot uh, Christmas story. So perfect timing for that. So a Claus issue coming next week, a number one shot. Uh, Tales from Harrow County, Death's Choir. Harrow County, one of my favorite horror comics of all time, is having, I think, like a one-shot here from Tales of Harrow County. So I got to look at that. Uh, so that's just some of the new comics coming out next week that I can't uh, wait to read. So please spread the word and tell someone about the Sunspots Comics podcast. Please give us a five-star review with just a few positive words on iTunes. And if you really, really want, you want to take that next step and help us out here at the Sunspots Comics podcast, please donate to us at sunspotscomics.com slash support. Any amount, seriously, is appreciated. It helps keep the lights on. Uh, that's sunspotscomics.com slash support. support. Please help us out. So that'll do it. Thank you so much for listening to the Sunspots Comics podcast. I hope you capture just some of the love of comic books and enjoy my top-notch new comic book recommendations. I'm telling you, they're the best. And, of course, I leave you with the immortal words of Stan Lee. Hang loose, heroes. And, of course, to be continued... Comics Down.